Hi, everybody. Paul Davis, alcoholic. Um, I'm not going to do the drunk log. You guys know me. Uh, I drank every day. Um, I, got, I, I drank alcoholically every day. Um, I started drinking. Well, my mom kicked me out when I turned 15 because I was coming home drunk. Uh, so uh, a blackout drinker from day one. Uh, thought a blackout's meant you got your money's worth. Um, I, I, I seriously did. I thought, well, what did we do last night? We had to have had fun because I don't remember. Um, but it, when, when, when Paul texted me and, or called me and asked me if I'd speak, I said yes uh, because the way I grew up in AA, we celebrated it was strongly suggested that around your birthdays you speak. Well, this is damn close. January 29th, I'll have 17 years. Um, <laughs> which just slays me and, and blows me away. Uh, my girls are here tonight, guys, so um, there'll be times when I talk very cryptically because I've just gone through a divorce. So I came into the program... My bottom was my previous wife, January uh, 28th of 2001 was Super Bowl Sunday. That was my last drunk. I had Super Bowl parties every year. I'd get a keg of beer and tons of cocaine. Uh, cocaine is part of my story. The way I grew up, the, my home group, it, it didn't matter who you were, you were welcome. So I hope I don't piss anybody off, but I really don't care because drugs are part of my story, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, my last drunk was January 28, 2001, Super Bowl Sunday, and that night I got so drunk that I put my hands on my wife in a way that men aren't supposed to touch women. Um, I beat her, and, and I'm not proud of that, and, and that was enough for me. The Davis men don't do that. Um, so I didn't have... I didn't lose anything. I had cars in the garage. I, the bills were paid. I had groceries in the refrigerator. But I never wanted to do that again, ever. And I knew that if I drank, there was a chance that would, that would happen. So I went into treatment. Uh, and uh, I did the IOP three days a week three hours a night or whatever. I was one of those guys that used to have to get the paper signed from the treatment center. Um, and that pissed me off. I didn't like AA at all. I, stomp, I stomped around the halls for nine months, a good nine months with a chip on my shoulder because I didn't... It was a bitter pill to swallow. For Paul Davis, drug addict, alcoholic, there wasn't anything wrong with the way I drank a drug. I paid the bills. You know, there was just... There was groceries in the refrigerator and... Like I said, all of that. And I couldn't anymore. And I was mad. So I stayed pissed off for a long time. Also, I came in, I think it was very early in February when I went to my first AA meeting ever. We, like I said, we had to get the paper signed. And so I, call, I say I came in in February. And that coming May, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. So I come in, and then, you know, poor little Paul, my wife's diagnosed with cancer. Now I can't drink doubly because I have to take care of her. 
Uh, that's how selfish and full of shit I was, right? Um, and, and then fast forward two years and she dies in my arms. Um, so I was two years and two weeks sober when she passed away. So my first three years of sobriety really sucked. I mean, uh, and thank God, the, the, my home group, you know, one of the catchphrases that we hear is keep coming back, it gets better. Well, there wasn't anything about my story that it wasn't getting better. I was hating you guys. I hate it because then by that time, I'm, I'm realizing I, I, I got enough going on up here that I know the truth. I know you guys are telling me the truth. I know all the stuff I learned in the treatment center was the truth. I could conceptualize it, but I couldn't move it because I'm stubborn Welsh coal miner. And, and, and so I'm stomping around, and then finally about nine months, um, while I was in treatment, our counselor would make us do visualizations and stuff, and, and she's like, damn, Davis, you are walled off, man. And and I was proud of that. And I'm from the Midwest. Like I said, I'm from Kansas City. And, and we've got silos. The the farmers make grain silos, and they make them out of bricks, right? So they could, they're could they brick silos. And so when she told me I was walled off, I'm like, yeah, you're goddamn right. I'm inside a silo. And none of you people are going to know me. Yeah, I've got this wall. And so finally about nine months, I visualized taking a brick out of that silo and I let one man into my heart and that was really the beginning of recovery for me um, even though I stomped and bitched and pissed and moaned because I have to stay sober because my wife's sick and uh, dying of cancer and I have to take care of her and just struggling struggling but knowing like I said I can conceptualize it but I wouldn't let my heart admit and accept and surrender uh, so it was about I was three I was over three years sober I celebrated she died when I was two weeks two years and two weeks sober and then I did a lot of soul searching I did some survival training out this is where I fell in love with the desert I came up to the four corners area and did some survival training um, I went whitewater rafting. I jumped out of an airplane. Uh, I, I did a lot of stuff as well as staying very connected to the program. And I'm, I'm on this journey to find Paul Davis. And it was sometime in that year after she passed away that I finally gave up. I finally said, okay, yep, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. And it's okay. It became, it finally became Okay. I was saying it, I was admitting at the tables, I'm working with my sponsor, we're working the steps, I'm moving it from here to here, but at some point when I'm three years sober, it finally became okay, and I was like, I'm okay with this, I'm a drug addict and alcoholic, and that's the way I'm made now, and I'm okay with that. Uh, one of the gifts I know I received um, from the program and, and from working the steps and from my wife's passing was I was granted this incredible gift of unconditional love. I could finally love. There was no silo anymore. I'd knocked that, well, God, AA, and, and my wife 
knocked that silo to the ground. Um, so I learned to love in a way that I'd never known before. Um, and fast forward another year and a half, and another woman comes into my life. And, you know, like I said, I'll need to talk a little cryptically. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought at the time, and I really, I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's hard for me still to figure it all out, but, but, but it's okay because I, I don't have to. But I thought I was blessed with, with, uh, with another opportunity to love and, and love in a way that I'd never loved before. Um, and she was, uh, as far as I know, still in the program. Um, we had three beautiful children. And April of what? What was that, Chuck? Two years ago, which would have been April of 16, right? April of 16, I'm out shopping for some shirts, and I get a call, you need to come home, we need to talk. I'm like, okay. So I come home and I get this, I'm in love with another man. It's a special kind of love that you can't possibly understand. And... Like I said, I thought we were happily married and madly in love, but evidently only one of us was. Uh, this, guys, I can tell you that that losing a spouse to death is ten times easier than divorce. And and I know, I know that I will never take anything away from anybody's grief of losing a spouse. In, in that way, to dying, because I've done that, right? This is worse. And I stayed sober, guys. That's, that's what I really want to talk about. I want to talk about my, my catch word for 2018 is surrender. Because this has been the longest and the, and the worst last two and a half or two years of my life. Um, I mean... I was devastated, absolutely devastated. I loved this woman like no one ever. And then to find out the depth of her betrayal and, and, and the magnitude of her deception. And, and what, I want, what, what I've learned recently, well, I've known it all along, but, but part of my surrender is you speak it and you give it power. So I want to quit speaking it. I want to quit speaking it. And your thoughts have power, too. I don't know if you guys know who Napoleon Hill is, but he wrote a book a long time ago called Think and Grow Rich, and, and it spawned all this. And what's cool is I've been getting into a lot of neuroscience, too. Um, so I've, been, I've got a lot of books. I've read a lot of books about how our brains work, and, and it correlates to our, our addiction, too. Um, but these last two years, last year... When I turned 16, nobody knew. I didn't even call my sponsor. I was sitting in a 508 Friday night meeting on my birthday. Nobody knew. I wasn't in any place in any way, shape, or form to speak or to celebrate sobriety at all. Um, in July of last year, yes, July of last year, 
I don't know if you guys know Matt, who, who chairs the Saturday night down at the West Valley. He came to the uh, 508 group. I chair the 508 group, which is, again, one of the things that saved my life this last couple of years. Um, Matt asked me to speak last July at the 508 group, or at the West Valley Fellowship. And he asked me on a Friday night, and I said, Matt, let me think about it. I said, I don't want to say no, because the way I grew up in Alcoholics Anonymous, when somebody asks you to do some type of service work, you never say no. I said, I'm not going to say no, but let me think about it. Um, so that was Friday night. So Sunday I called him, and I said, Matt, you know what? I can't. At that time, July of 17, I couldn't guarantee that I wouldn't get to the podium and disparage her in any way, shape, or form. So I didn't. I didn't. That's the first service commitment I've turned down in, I don't know how long. Um, so surrender. has. Uh, there, was some, there was some drama in October and November. In October, I got on my, my scout, my Indian scout, and I headed up to, I did a loop. I headed to Sholo and then back down through New Mexico and back through Safford and came. I did like 541 miles. Um, because of some drama, some of the divorce drama bullshit, and then November was horrible. Um, I've been, I, I saw a counselor through that whole time, and about June or July, she let me go and said, you don't need to come back unless you really need to, so I'm like, cool. So, again, I'm making progress. Uh, I'm staying sober. I'm working a program. I'm working with guys. I'm, I'm service work with the 508 group. Um, so October, last October, last November, we're, we're just sending me back to places that I that I didn't think, or that I, that I thought I'd come farther. So I go back and I see my counselor in December, and, and I'm telling her, she's a wonderful woman, she's 12-step based and she's faith-based, I'm telling Sheila that, that I don't know how to do this. I, I, I stayed sober through all of this by the grace of God and by what you guys taught me. But I said, I don't know. I don't know how to get this out, to get this rage, hatred, and, and the, the murder and suicide. I've never had homicidal thoughts or suicidal thoughts like I did. Right? Uh, so I, so I, I go see Sheila, and I'm like, I don't want this shit, and I don't know how. And she brings me back. She said, okay. Kind of what I'm telling you guys. She said, take me back to when you first got sober. How did you do that? So we talked about that for a while. And she said, well, then, okay, now tell me about when Doris died. How did you do that? So we talked about that. And then she looks at me, and she nails me. And she said, Paul Davis, you do know how. You surrender. And I'm like, fuck, you're so smart. (laughs) Right? So she said, because... Because all of this nasties, all the all the all of that that I just puked, um, I don't want that. I don't want that inside me because that's not Paul Davis. That's not the man that Alcoholics Anonymous and you guys helped me to become. Because the guy that that. That, that walked through that door the first time said almost 17 years ago was so full of shit 10 foot tall and bulletproof and I mean my pride and ego needed a garage door not that door um, and I, I didn't so I became this this other better man who loved unconditionally and loved love 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 and now all of a sudden I'm full of this 
and I, because I've never felt it before, um, I didn't know what to do with it. So she was so smart. She's like, Davis, you do know how. You have to surrender. Then you get into acceptance. Then you get to forgiveness. Because like all of us, every other alcoholic, I'm over here and I want, I, want, I want all of this out so I know I have to forgive. I know I have to forgive. I know I have to forgive. But I hate these motherfuckers. But I know I have to forgive. But I know I have to forgive. Right? Um, surrender. Surrender. So all of this, that's exactly what I've been doing since mid-December, is I've changed. And, 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 and again, I'm, I'm, I'm this hard-headed little Welshman. Um, my prayers prior to December were, God, I, I, you know, take all of this, you know, but, but I'll keep my pain. I'm, I'm okay. I can feel this. You know, I've done it. Um, I'll be okay. I can hurt, right? Um, but that's, that's the pain was fueling everything else. The pain was, was, so I had to surrender all of that. I had to give everything. And, 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 and guys, that's what we do here. We surrender to win. And that's what slays me. Because I wouldn't, I've had, I've had like throughout all of recovery, you get those little moments of clarity and, and, and you're like, holy crap, you know, that's pretty cool. Well, that was one of those with Sheila in December, and it's been better since. And I've had some peace, and I've had some serenity. And I know, I've known all along that I'm going to be okay. But now, there's the hope. And now, I can start working towards forgiveness. Um... I can continue to do what you guys taught me. Because I didn't, you know, when I first came in, I didn't know nothing about praying. And my sponsor said, ask for help in the morning, say thank you at night. So I went back to basics. Um, No matter the day, the days I've had, I always say my prayers. Help me stay sober at night. Thanks for another day. That's what you guys taught me. Um, I, I, I've done that. I still do that every day. I continue to... Even, even through all of it, I would be... You know, and Charlie and, and Chuck and, and Max have seen me bawling like a baby. And... Um, Many, 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 many nights I'm on my knees just bawling my eyes out. But I still said thank you. It was still important for me to to stay at the basics and say thank you. So this program works for anything and everything which just baffles me and the way that 
the way that we do it clean house ask God for help and help somebody else and there's some pretty cool stuff that I started to I, I, I do my three meetings a week and then on Mondays I've gone through two 13 weeks of divorce care um which is really, I mean, I, I call it my extra meeting because it's pretty cool. And it's faith-based and scripture-based, um, but that's the other big book. And uh, I'm actually starting to chair that. So it's another opportunity for me to give back. And that's all, you know, that's, that's what my, my sponsors have always taught me is as soon as you get spun up seven ways to Sunday, help somebody. Help somebody else. Um, in hindsight... I, I, God doesn't give us tests. I know that for a fact. God didn't give my wife cancer to to see how I would react. God didn't didn't do this other circumstance just to see how Paul Davis would react. Um, what I believe is God is very much concerned in how we react and how we respond and how we walk through that. I I, I believe that one hundred percent. Um, and that's what you guys taught me because that guy inside that silo he didn't need any help he didn't need God he didn't need you guys Um, so you know I I, it's been it's you know my, my second sponsor back in Kansas City would, would say things like, oh, well, this isn't this a wonderful opportunity for growth? And I would be like, sure, let's grow some more, right? <laughs> um, this has been a growing experience for me. I don't... And, I, and, and what's funny is I've been able to give back in ways that could, my sponsee... Uh, you guys know Alaska Sean with the full sleeves. He's going through something very similar that I went through. Um, Darby, one of our dear friends from the program that moved to uh, Colorado Springs, he and his wife have just recently called me, and they're struggling with their relationship. So I'm able to counsel both of them. Um, it's just amazing how we can keep giving and, and, and use, you know, God, it, it, it says that God can take, can make beauty out of the ashes, right? And this over here was very definitely ashes. And I, I, I don't know where it's going. I don't see the beauty yet. I know, there, I read this wonderful book. It's a tale of three kings. And it's about Saul, David, and, and, and David's son, Absalom. And it, it's it, the, the the gist of the book is how God will use other people to continue to refine us in in some way, shape, or form. Um, and the author of the book is pretty tricky because he turns it around and says, "Who are you really? Are you a David or a Saul or an Absalom?" Right? And we don't ever know. Um, so it causes more introspection and. Um, you know, I know I'm. Uh, I know I'm supposed to speak for about fifteen, twenty more minutes. 
but I, I, I am amazed. I'm not the same man I was. You know, and that's kind of, there was another point in that book where, where, where the author points out that, that, that God used Saul to make sure that David wasn't King Saul II. So he wanted to continue to refine and refine and refine David. And it was when his friends finally came and found him after a couple of years, they barely recognized that man. Um, I don't know if I'm as recognizable. I got some facial hair, but uh, I know I'm not the same. I know, I know that this has changed me. Uh, I hope for the good. I don't know. Um, but again, I've done it all with God and you guys. I stayed close to the program. I stayed close to my God. I, I did what I learned from the very beginning, and that was a, a ask for help. And this guy never asked for help because I'm inside a silo. I don't need any help. I'm a man. Um, I don't need any help. I haven't. What, I, what I've learned also is that I don't make one decision by myself. I always seek advice and counsel. And that's what you guys taught me. I don't know how I... You know, I never relapsed. When I came in January 29th, 2001, I've never had to take another drink through all of this. I've never done... I've done... uh, I, I, I broke my body. I wrecked a motorcycle and they had me on, on morphine and, and Dilaudid and, and Percocet. And they're just hitting me with that. And I think that's the... But that was because I broke my body. Uh, but I've never... I've never relapsed in any way, shape, or form. I don't know. I mean, it's all the grace of God, every bit of it. Every bit of it. And, and, and finally, this greatest distance in the universe is moving all this stuff that you guys teach me, moving it to my heart. All that we learn, all the cute little sayings, all our little acronyms, you know, reading the big book. I chaired a, one of, and my sponsor back again, this is, this is how this works, right? After my wife died in Kansas City, the next, she died in February. By the end of that year, my ch- my sponsor had given me his Tuesday night big book study. So I chaired a big book study for six years on Tuesday nights, and it was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever I've ever done and I've ever gone through. Um, I would uh, we would have the treatment guys would show up. We would have the vans of the guys that would come up and. And it was it was a really, really it was a bunch of the, the the newcomers. It was like a newcomers big book study. So it was it was really cool. I did I did it I did that for six years actually until we left and came out here. Um, but it's all about giving back. It's all about it's all about service work. You know, in any way, shape, or form, and service work. Doesn't mean coming here, setting up, doing the chairs, making coffee. There's a million ways to do service work. There's smiling at someone. There's holding the door open. 
for someone. It's returning your shopping cart, God damn it. Don't leave it out in the parking lot. But anyway, that's that's that can be service work, right? I mean, doing the things that we didn't used to do when we knew all along we should have been doing them. Paying our bills. Right? Being financially responsible. That's service work. That's doing what, you know, that's doing what we didn't used to do. That's uncomfortable. I'm more than comfortable now being uncomfortable. This guy you see sitting here is not that guy that walked through. That's not the guy that walked. I spoke out here, what, a year or two ago, whenever you guys asked me to. I'm not the same guy then. You know, I don't know. I don't know God's plan. I don't pretend to know God's plan. I don't know what he has in store for any of us. None of us can. But I do know that if we qualify for this program, then our number one, then God's will for us is to stay sober and a clean house and help others. That's if you boil it down. That's what we are supposed to do. If we readily admit that we're an alcoholic, then we should stay sober, get into some type of service work, and help others. You know, my pastor, a few years back, I went on a missions trip this November, uh, the end of this November, and, and, and one year, I don't even know when, but I spoke down at the West Valley Fellowship around my birthday like I grew up, like my sponsor taught me to, um, and I invited my pastor to, to hear me speak. And he told me something pretty profound after. He said, I think Jesus Christ would be more comfortable in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting than any church in the nation. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I thought that was astounding. But it's, it's I, it, it all goes back to service. It all goes back to service work, being of service to others and giving back what was so rarely given. I don't deserve the life I have today. I don't deserve to bitch, piss, moan, and complain about anything. Who am I to judge, for one? It's just amazing to me, this journey, this path that that I'm personally on and that I see you guys walking with me. You know, I was there in Charlie's first meeting. Uh... Who knows what's around the corner for any of us? Who knows what God has in mind for all of us? If we stay sober, guys, we got a chance. If we help others, I think the chances go up. I'm baffled. I'm blown away that I'm still sober that I'm still here and that I didn't kill um, certain folks I'm not proud to say that those thoughts were pretty predominant for a while I don't want to even talk about them because like I said there's power in thought and there's power in words but thank God 
for Alcoholics Anonymous and all of you guys. Because I wouldn't be here without the program. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. None. Many times over. First from that guy that first came in, and then that guy that lost his wife, and then that guy that lost his wife. I would not be here without Alcoholics Anonymous. Glad to be sober. Thank you. I'm going to pass. Thanks a lot.